Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Complimentary Cinema. And we are your hosts. I am Brian. And this is Ken. And this week we are covering the uh, Charles Bronson classic, The White Buffalo. That's correct. Uh, it was a film that was uh, released in May of 1977. It was directed by J. Lee Thompson. It was written by Richard Sell. And uh, music was uh, composed by John Barry. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting film. It's a Western, which is really uh, a horror film disguised as a Western, I think. It's kind of like um, uh, they tried to build some suspense with it. I don't know if it ever really reached horror movie. Like they, there were some flashes of it in there, but it's like horror adjacent. That's okay. That that that's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. But to call it even just a straight western, I think would also be a little bit misleading. Yeah. Like it has it has western window dressing. Yes. Yes. It it does feel like a western, but it also feels like a modern western. In many respects, yes, yes. So what's a what what's a good plot summary for the for this film, Ken? Um, I would say, well, I mean, the really, it's a story about the main character who is well known for apparently killing Indians and, um, everyone hates him wherever he goes. And so, uh, it's really the story of him coming to grips with a nightmare he's had in which he is going to hunt down a white buffalo that is going to kill him. And it's the story of um, how that happens and then the things that happen along the way. Sure, the adventure. So I I, I think it's good to point out, too, that this is a uh, historical fiction uh, kind of film. Um, Because Charles Bronson's character is uh, supposed to be Wild Bill Hickok. You know, a famous, famous Western gunslinger. And he's introduced to us as a John Otis. And he uh, he ends up. He, I think he starts off in Wyoming. Uh, we first see him on a, on a train car. He's uh, just ha- having this dream about this uh, this white buffalo, which is one of the worst uh, bits of puppetry I have seen in quite a long time. It looks. Um, how would you describe? It looks very fake, especially the close-ups of its face. And I think part of it was I I, I was mentioning when we wa- we watched it that it's very hard to make a buffalo look scary. Like, buffalo are large by nature, so I, I guess intimidating is kind of natural, but to be scary in, like, a horror way is not... Like, they look kind of goofy. Like, their faces look kind of goofy. This buffalo looks like a developmentally disabled albino horse. That I mean, that's really what it looks like. It, it's not really scary. It's just a big nostrily mouth and hair. Well, I guess the scary scariness of it is that it just like kills people, which is not really like another buffalo thing either. Like usually I would say the danger with buffalo is like the stampeding and then like they got scared and so they fought you. But this buffalo is straight up like going around and just like killing groups of people. The buffalo is a mass murderer and this is kind of what ties into the horror theme for me because the, the buffalo, instead of just being a, an enraged wild animal, has like the characteristics of like of like stalking and terror that you would see in uh, say a character like Jason Voorhees right. or Freddy Krueger. It it taunts its prey a little bit, I think, and then uh, I think that's where the horror aspect comes in more. It's like it's like a slasher film as far as 
that character goes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the White Buffalo is the slasher. Uh, the Freddy Krueger, if you will, to uh, Charles, Charles uh, Bronson's Nancy. Right. So early in the film, uh, we, uh, we see um, a tribe of Indians who were uh, uh, assaulted and some are mowed down. And uh, among, the, uh, among the Indians who survives is Crazy Horse, uh, portrayed by uh, Will Sampson, who is probably best known as Chief from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And upon discovering uh, the death of his child, he also uh, vows revenge on this white buffalo. Yes. And as a, uh, as a, not punishment, but like, because he had an emotional reaction, he's cast out and renamed. He's un- until he uh, claims the white buffalo, he cannot use his name anymore. So we have this also kind of uh, parallel between this character and the main character, as far as that both of them are using fake names they're both kind of being someone who they normally wouldn't be uh, going on this kind of like quest to, uh, to kill this buffalo. Definitely it's a spiritual endeavor on both of their parts. So pretty soon uh, Charles Bronson as Otis uh, arrives in a, in a, I think it's Cheyenne in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And he immediately uh, sets about to find uh, an old friend of his uh, who's played by uh, Kim Novak, who is um did a lot of movies in the 50s and 60s and is uh, famous for having a relationship with Sammy Davis Jr. And I was excited to see her name in the credits. I thought, okay, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a good movie. All right. This has got some good people in this. And the the exciting thing about Kim Novak's um, uh, portrayal in this film, it lasts all about maybe four minutes of total screen time. I might even be being generous here. And the sum total of her character development is that she tries to get Charles Bronson to sleep with her and he turns her down. Yep, pretty much. And like, and she would have been ready to go in the morning, except for the fact that in his sleep, he went ahead and shot up the place while he was having his nightmare. Because he also does that. He wakes up at a start and starts shooting stuff. He he sleeps with his guns and goes off... Uh, He's, he's got a very hair trigger there on those things. And also, he didn't notice before he went to sleep that there was a white buffalo head on the wall. But when he woke up from this uh, nightmare, all of a sudden there's this white buffalo head on the wall that he shoots down. I, I, I can tell you that if there was a white buffalo that was like haunting my dreams and, and terrorizing me, if I walked into a room and saw a white, if there was a white buffalo head in there, I would take immediate notice of that. Yeah, that wouldn't just escape my attention until I wake up in cold sweat in the middle of the night, shooting my guns at it. But regardless, he 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 shoots up the room, and so uh, she says, "I don't ever want to see you again." And then that's that's it. You know, that's that's the end of that character. That's basically it. Um, so an old friend, an old lover, apparently, but uh, he he shoots a stuffed head, a stuffed animal head, and it's over. All that history doesn't matter. He's just, he's got to get out and that's that. I mean, maybe they were paying her by the line. Like they only had like so many lines. That's, that's possible. But who knows? I can tell you this. Kim Novak is definitely a better actor than uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah. But more on that later. Yeah. So next we go, he heads off to try to pick up his other buddy who. Charlie Zane, who is portrayed by uh, Jack Warden. Right. And, uh. In this uh, in this uh, characterization, 
Charlie Zane is kind of an older prospector type with one eye, uh, a big bushy beard, long silky white hair, and you can't understand a damn thing the man says. You can hear words, you can hear syllables, and you can even almost piece some of them together. He speaks in a lot of references that I don't necessarily understand, and obviously, like you said, you can't necessarily understand even what he's saying to get the reference. Like there's a a great a great example of this is when he said um, that uh, when Charles Bronson wanted to do a certain thing that it was like shoveling fleas inside of a barn. Now, as as a city slicker in the 21st century, I understood. I heard what he said. I, I could make out the words. I don't know exactly what that's supposed to mean. Is that a difficult task? Is that an impossible task? Is that a fool's errand? Who can say? Yeah, I think it's it's like it was like you're trying to say it, that's a bad idea, but instead he he made a weird reference that it doesn't really a very colorful reference that perhaps people back in the 70s might have been more familiar with. I don't know, but it also makes me wonder: Did people in the 1870s, when this film takes place, did they actually speak that way to each other? I wonder. I mean, it's definitely potential. I mean, There's that's that's definitely the angle of that character. They were trying to go with like you know, quote like slang for the time with like west old west slang i guess yeah he he really had a lot of old west snappy one-liners and i wish i could have understood some more of them yeah alas uh we don't have um don't actually have proper subtitles because one of the features of complimentary cinema is that we uh we dig up whatever direct we can online and then watch it and sometimes there's subtitles sometimes there's not sometimes there's good audio quality sometimes it's poor in this case, it was, you know, it was okay. Yeah, it, and it was auto-generated subtitles. Not, auto-generated subtitles. Not, you know, the, the ones that would come with a film. So a lot of it was wrong. Uh, dead wrong. Mr. Otis was Mr. Oders. I enjoyed that part a bit. Yes. But after, after a while, you just have to turn them off. Otherwise, you're going to go nuts trying to figure out what the hell they're saying. So, uh, so after he picks up Charlie Zane, uh, he immediately goes, you know, they, they go to a bar. They run into some people. There's a there, there's a couple of instances in this film where Charles Bronson's character just runs afoul of like angry white men who want to kill him. I think this was like this would be best described as a hate triangle. Like usually, you know, there's a love triangle in the movie. Sure. In this movie, there's the bartender who hates the gang. Yes. Who hates Charles Bronson's character. Yes, as Hickok. Yes. Hickok. Hick- I'm sorry. Hickok. Hates Hickok. And so since the bartender tries to get Hickok to kill the gang guys, and he doesn't want to. The bartender turns the gang guys on Hickok. So it's like a, a, a it's a circle of hatred. It is a circle hate of triangle. hatred. And it and it made for a fantastic fifteen seconds of film when the when the gunfight ensues. And it, it made and you then, really think that it was going to be building towards something in the film. And it doesn't. Like in a really exciting time, or like some intrigue, but instead it was. Um, Hickok killing two of the gang people, <laughs> the fight ending, and that be the end of the scene. And just walking out, and then uh, everyone just letting in them, letting uh, Charles Bronson and his buddy Charlie Zane just walk out of there and uh, ride off. Now apparently Hickok at some point had been a marshal, so I think that's that may be part of you know the the uh, the reason people just let him go after he kills people. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's what happens there possible they go on their way and uh head off to the 
head off into the hills to uh, try to find the white buffalo. Because I know, like, when I'm having nightmares, Ken, I know that I always sleep with my guns. I always sleep with them loaded, by God. I have at least two of them on me. And then I spend every waking moment in a fervor to uh, hunt down the specter of my of my nightmares, don't you? Yes. Now, we should probably also mention why it is that Charlie would want to go hunting this buffalo. Because why? obviously the main character is just losing his mind a little bit. A little. And he's having this dream, and that's just guiding everything. But why was it that Charlie wanted to go? Why is it? Because the money. Because the, the white buffalo oh, is yeah, valuable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, the white buffalo head in this film costs $2,000, and we tried to go onto an inflation calculator to find out how much money would that be in 2020. And the inflation cal- uh, calculator only goes back to 1913. Some, you know, 40 years after the film takes place. But when adjusted for modern inflation, at least $2,000 in 1913 money is worth over $52,000. So add in another, uh, you know, 30 years of inflation going way back. And you're looking at a, a, a handsome sum of, of money. Right. So, I mean, at least he has a, a, a what you would say a valid reason. To go yeah, but they but they really just very briefly introduce that and then sweep that under the rug. It, they really make the nightmare seem like the more pressing issue with him. Yeah, yeah, it's true, and more of like an arrangement between friends. But the, I'm just saying, yes. the old guy still does is very interested in the money. The old man is the old prospector man is he he wants cash money, he wants it now. I was just thinking of like those commercials. It's like. You know, it's like you have a structured payment, but he wants cash now. Yeah, yeah, that's J.G. Old, Wentworth. <laughs> yes, that's that's the prospector type. He's got a structured settlement, but he wants cash now. Yeah. He's got to have his cash. Okay, that's fair. So they, so they run off and, and go hunting for the white buffalo. Uh, meanwhile, we never see uh, Kim Novak again. Meanwhile, uh, early, well, earlier in the film, he runs into some, uh, some uh, federal soldiers who also try to kill him, Custer and his men. Uh, there's another shootout there, and then they're never heard of again. You know, just to establish what a badass uh, Bill Hickok is yeah, and what a great gunslinger he is. And apparently he just kills people and gets away just with it. Just kills people, gets away with it, just wanders off, calls it a day. So while uh, moving, well, back to where we were, as the, uh, as the prospector type, who I'm going to call Grandpa Simpson from now on, as he and Charlie Bronson are wandering around in the uh, hills of Wyoming, Colorado, or Arizona, depending on where the film was actually shot. They run into Crazy Horse, now going as Worm, as he's uh, in a standoff with with another uh, Indian tribe. And uh, they end up uh, helping him out and saving his life, and then they uh, become pseudo-friends for a little bit. It's worth mentioning, too, that he did show up earlier, I forgot about this scene. Oh, the, there yeah, was the, the stage wagon. Coach they scene. had the stagecoach scene. There was a, a, an incident where they were traveling between towns. He was traveling with a, a couple other people in a wagon, uh, and uh, Crazy Horse had attacked the uh, the wagon. He did. And uh, everyone died except for <laughs> uh, our main character and the driver of the stagecoach. I forgot about that. It doesn't you, even matter. You, you forgot about it because it was actually completely irrelevant to the well, entire well, film. How could we get through without that scene of, of the one guy trying to pull a knife on him and then uh, getting kicked out of the wagon 
and then immediately shot. I know, like it, it's like the the plot of the entire film just hinges on that one scene, isn't it? <laughs> I completely forgot about that one too. Anyway, so thanks for bringing up old shit, Ken. Appreciate so, it. Anyway, just you know, Crazy Horse wasn't it more? You know, he was in every other kind of yeah, scene. You, you know, you, too. You see him around some more, yeah. But anyway, so uh, he, he's having a standoff with some other, you know, some people who shouldn't be on his land, and uh, uh, getting ready to fight him off. And it's like one versus fifteen. One to fifteen, and then, you know, uh, Charles Bronson gets a wild hair up his ass to just suddenly waste ammo, ammo, and uh, and his life, or risk his life rather, to uh, to assist this this stray Indian. Which you know is uh, supposed to supposed to demonstrate you know Charles Bronson's character's uh, streak of nobility, I suppose. And I think he, uh, as far as like recognizing someone who's on the same quest, I think is kind of where he, he kind of realized at that point, like, well, there's there's no other reason for this guy to be here, so he must be doing the same thing I'm doing. We're a kindred spirit in, in yeah. some other fashion. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Grandpa Simpson takes issue with this, but he plays along because. He's kind of a half senile old crazy codger. Yeah. Like they are. Yeah. But yeah, together they fight they fight off the other Indians and scare the rest of them away. And uh they kind of have a moment where they just say like uh like I recognize you basically like They they have a bromance moment. Yeah. And it's I mean, very from, touching. From very far away from each other. The um not only from very f- far away from each other, but when uh worm slash crazy horse finally does speak he speaks incredibly good english yeah there's a lot of hand gestures there's a lot of hand gestures that almost mimic like sign language it's a very very touching moment and then uh we don't see him for again for a little bit yeah charles bronson and grandpa simpson go wander around some more they end up uh they end up uh tracking their their prey uh to a cave and they end up camping out in the cave, and then they get ambushed by some bad guys from the bar. It gets very snowy in this part, too. Very snowy. Um, Almost as if we changed locations entirely. Uh, yes. Yeah, Yeah. The, the inconsistent weather patterns have been fantastic. Like in the stagecoach scene, yeah. all right? Like the, the first, you know, first chunk of that, it's raining heavily. And almost like in, in a jump cut, it's suddenly snowy. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of continuity that really ties this uh, movie together sure does so in this next snow- snowy scene in the uh, in the mountains the uh the bad guys from uh from the bar well the ones that are left you know try to track them down because they really have it out for charles bronson and uh crazy horse slash worm comes to their aid and helps defeat their enemies out of nowhere out of absolutely fucking nowhere it's, it's not hinted that he's there it's not known there's a, a loud noise, a loud animal sound kind of up the hill that almost sounds like it could be the white buffalo. Could be. Is it? Possibly. But it, but it was not. It was not. It was, in fact, what looked like a, a wolf. But it wasn't a wolf. A, instead, a wild crazy horse appeared. Yes. Well, crazy horse is wearing a wolf headdress. Yes. To, and to was, distract the, um, the people. Effective camouflage and one of the better special effects in this film. Yeah. So yeah, he comes out of nowhere and just like bows everyone to death, all the all the bad guys, and uh, resolves their plot right there. Really does, and then their uh, Charles Bronson and Crazy Horse are BFF after that. 
Yep. They kind of have like uh, some bonding moments and uh, talk around the campfire and try to like uh, move past racial differences and talk about philosophy. And- there, there's an exchange of a, of, of, a uh, of the gift of a gun and a knife. Lots of bonding happening. Yep. And then uh, a little bit later, they go to uh, they continue their pursuit of the wild, the wild, the white buffalo. Ooh, before their pursuit though. But before the pursuit, the the, the, the there's piles of rocks that are neatly stacked. Oh, that's that's absolutely right. And the white buffalo comes and knocks them all down. Yes, yes, they're very conveniently placed small rocks in large, neat piles. Blocking, uh, like, what, three different entrances right. into that giant cave that they're all hanging out That there out was in? two entrances to. Two entrances to, yeah. <laughs> it's not a very good cave if you can get into it, like, ten different ways, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and, the, and the, once again, we have the, um, the, the serial killer stalker uh, angle with this white buffalo taunting his prey. It's almost as like the scene you would have in a movie where the, the, the killer's rattling the doors or like banging on the windows. Absolutely. Or you you know? know, like we're calling the house and telling exactly. him like, I'm going to cut the phone lines. Exactly. Yeah. The, the white buffalo really has some psychological trauma. The, yeah, I think they built a suspense like that, you know, like what the hell's wrong with this buffalo? The buffalo has issues, plural. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So they end up, uh, you know, they, they go, they, they pursue this, this buffalo and. They finally come to the place where Charles Bronson's been having these dreams and he dramatically casts off his hat and he casts off his, his very warm coat, which I don't think he should have done because he could have caught a cold in the, uh, the kind of weather that they were in. It was very frigid, very snowy, very frosty. And I don't think his uh, salmon pink shirt really was going to uh, do the job in retaining his body heat. You know, because like, I know like when, when, I'm, when I'm hunting the specter of my visions in a, in a snowy area. The first thing I want is for my, my limbs and my muscles to totally freeze up and not be able to move. Uh, just like his gun did when, uh, the, uh, white Buffalo came charging right at him. Yeah. He kind of, uh, stuck his gun in the snow for a while while he was, I don't know, meditating, like just kind of waiting for something to happen. Just doing the macho bullshit thing. And not thinking yeah. about the fact that his trigger on his gun was slowly freezing while he was just sitting there. So uh, by the time the wild buff- the white buffalo finally charges out that we've been waiting for, we hear the rumbling, the vibrations in the ground, and finally starts car- coming charging out. Um, it turns out that the gun is frozen, so it, it, he can't even shoot it. So it, he has no hope. That might be the one moment uh, of genuine suspense in the film, <clears throat> but it is ruined or not, not necessarily ruined, but it is dampened considerably by the blurry close-ups of the white Buffalo as it's charging right at him. Yeah. Um, th- this puppet was so poorly made that the only way that they can ever show it is in very quick blurry close-ups. Like you never get an actual good view of uh, of this monster of this beast. Like you see when it's charging and it's in the distance it is when it looks the best because you can't see the details very well. You just can see the the shape and the it size. Looks, it of looks the like thing. a charging animal, yeah. you know. But then when when you see it closer, it just looks like a floppy muppet that they're they're dragging. It's along. like the angriest muppet. It's fantastic. It's like 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 Elmo, like spray paint Elmo white and give him a horse, 
a horse snout and it's just flailing about. Like they tried, but like this Did is they? One those, this is one of those movies that really needed like it really needed either a better uh prop, you know, like uh what is that called? Not Muppets, but like puppets. Pu- puppet, yeah. yeah. It's it needed a better puppet team that had a better design for how this needed to look. You, you know those do you know those those medieval paintings like that have cats in them? Yes. And the cats look absolutely terrible. Yes. Cuz it's like they've never seen a cat. Mhm. I think they got some of those same artists to build this uh buffalo puppet. Yeah. I don't think they had actually had seen a buffalo before. Mhm. And they just kind of took some artistic and creative liberties with it. With that budgetary liberties. Yeah. I would definitely say that's probably. They were like, like, let's grab some boxes from the warehouse. Let's empty them out. Let's throw some mop heads over the cardboard, and then let's paint the car the let's paint the mop heads with uh, some some white paint. Yeah, and that is your white buffalo in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not that intimidating once it's 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 big time to shine. So, I mean, you 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 feel the character's danger. You know, like you feel that this, something might happen and it's unclear whether, you know, is, is, is Hickok going to die? Is, is uh, crazy horse going to die? die? Grandpa Simpson. Is Grandpa Simpson going to get in the way accidentally? Like what the hell is going to happen here? And it looks like Hickok's going to go because no gun, you know, it's just coming straight at him. He looks like an absolute goner. He, he, he just barely gets out of the way in time. Just barely. And uh, Crazy Horse comes charging in and like jumps on its back and starts stabbing it with arrows. He stabs it probably 30 times right in the neck. Yeah. And it just keeps going and eventually it, it, it shakes him off and runs off into the woods. It's not a white buffalo. It's an Energizer bunny. Uh, either that or some kind of buffalo demon. Like Maybe it's possessed. Yeah. It's the supernatural white buffalo. So then the buffalo, after like a little while, long enough for them to talk a little bit, <laughs> comes back charging out of the woods. The final the final jump scare of the horror movie monster that we have in this film. Yeah. And uh, suffice to say, the movie ends shortly thereafter. Indeed. So let's talk about some of the performances in this film. Um, we have a whole slew of, of actors in this film, some of which have scream time topping 15, 20 seconds. Uh, you have a couple of actors who are actually in the film for the duration. Who would you say of all of these people in here, you know, General Custer, we've got John Otis, a.k.a. Hickok. We've got Grandpa Simpson. We have Crazy Horse. We have Kim Novak's Five Minutes. What really stood out there? I think probably Crazy Horse was was I would say the most consistent out of all of them, and uh, I think the one I enjoyed watching the most out of all of the kind of main cast. I think uh, especially the like the the genuine moments felt real, you know, like when he was re- really leveling with them and like getting more philosophical. I thought that was really strong. He certainly gave like the most honest and and genuine performance of the bunch. And it wasn't like I like that they didn't uh, like they didn't make him like it wasn't like stupid or like you know some sometimes Western movies they make it a little. Uh, they really dumbed down the uh, 
the, the Indian folk. Yeah, he wasn't a dumbed down character. I did appreciate that. I think he probably stood out for me as the as the just the most genuine performance. I guess it was fantastic. I I also did enjoy uh, Jack Warden's portrayal as Charlie Zane, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the character actor doing the uh, the prospector type. Yeah. But, yeah, he, uh, he was he was a crazy cat guy. But he really was just a—he uh, really was a character, though. Yes. Of of a stereotype. Yeah, he was he was cranked up to the top as far as like um, always wanting to kill the you know kill people the Indian people or like you know always just trying to get the money and like una- unable to see past his own nose for yes, sure. Definitely. Now, what would we rank as the worst performance of this film? For me, um, Charles Bronson's definitely the dead giveaway there. Yeah, I guess the so. The man just, the man plays one character. He plays Charles Bronson. I think he, his facial expressions totaled maybe five or six in the entire film. He had smug. He had, he had self-assuredness. He had a couple moments of terror and one of uh, pretending that everything was fine. I think uh, I think the the worst part was that like he kind of switched characters on a dime when it seemed like almost for no reason. Apparently, he's famous for killing someone who was trying to promote peace between uh, native peoples and the white people, and um, so he has a history of, of of killing Indians, and it should be just like all against them. But then after this one scene, you know, for the rest of the movie, he never that like that never comes up. As they re- as- they really buried that, but it does inform him a little bit when he decides to uh, assist Crazy Horse against his his own enemies. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely an arc, but like as far as like it didn't. It's a blink and you miss it arc. He though. didn't. He didn't. But you, I thought the arc was fine, but like the way he played it didn't seem genuine. Oh God, no! It, like it seemed like there was this one guy that was this one way, and then all of a sudden he was this different way. Yes. He yes. didn't really care about it either. Like it's just uh, all of a sudden he was a Boy Scout about it. Pretty amazing how quickly that happened. But I think that's just p- part of the uh, the awkwardness of trying to do that arc with that actor. It makes me wonder why they would hire Charles Bronson for this film, or indeed any other film. I mean, I, I, he 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 looks fine as as a grizzled Western kind of guy. Sure, he's got that weathered look. He's got the mustache. And that literally is it. I mean, I guess he can remember his lines well enough. I, I had no indication that he was, uh, you know, drunk on the job or, or slurring his lines. But uh, was he the best they could find, Charles Bronson? I mean, I, I liked. There were some scenes where I mean, his face just looks great, and like when you get in those close-ups, sure, with, like the moody lighting, like it just looks great. But then when he's like sometimes talking and stuff, it's just like. Eh. It's, it's, There's no life behind any of the words that come out of his mouth. It's not real exciting. No, it, it, it's like grizzled old man just speaking to the camera. I mean, earlier in the film, especially when we were trying to figure out what necessary, maybe they were saying, um, it was like kind of like easy to tune out whatever he was talking about because like it didn't seem like it made that much like impact or you know, just people small talking basically. A lot of this movie felt like people just small talking. But I guess that's just, you know, the movie's about the journey and uh, the experience. So, you know, for being a, you know, for being a, um, what, a 45 year old film, 
you know, certainly there were different takes on filmmaking back then. There was different takes on, on storytelling and pacing. And it seems like they took a lot of those and just didn't quite, quite get them to sync up very well. Yeah. Because I've seen other Westerns from the period and they definitely, they have some of the understatedness and some of the subtleties that this film had, but it was easier to follow and it was easier to connect the dots there. And that's probably why, you know, I've heard of good and the bad and the ugly, but I have not heard of white Buffalo. All right. What is the, um, probably the most, uh, noticeable plot point of this film or noteworthy plot point. I think the, uh, the, the bond that forms between the main characters is probably what stands out the most in kind of their relationship as the movie goes on. Um, because really other, other than that, it's just about hunting down a buffalo. Like that's really the only thing that actually stands out because in the end, the buffalo doesn't really matter that much. It's the concept of the buffalo that like drives these two people together. Like certainly Crazy Horse is seeking revenge, but it, for Charles Bronson, it's much more symbolic. Yeah. Now, what about and, and the... even part of that too? Kind of comes to be too like maybe he's chasing down his own demons or like his past. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that kind of comes in at the end. Um, maybe that's why. Atoning and making peace with himself. Right. Now let's talk about the the weakest or worst uh, plot point in this film. I think the generic westerny stuff earlier in the film, like the stagecoach we mentioned, that was sure. completely forgettable. It was literally just an excuse to introduce some more people that could get killed off, like, and not really impact the story. It was just a traveling scene between two places, which went on far too long for what it was. Yep, and it was basically just like someone trying to rob him, and then you know him disarming them, kicking them out, and then all those people getting killed. And never talked about or thought about again after that. Yep. And in a similar respect, the scene with uh, Kim Novak is similarly inconsequential. If you can, you can cut out that entire scene of him going to her hotel and staying with her uh, and staying the night and shooting the thing and then leaving, you can cut that entire thing out and it would have no impact on the film. See, I would say that the scene before the first bar scene is even more, like, you could cut that one out even more because we have a, a bar scene later where there's a fight. We didn't need the first one, but I, the reason they needed the, the, the sleepover scene is so that you could have another nightmare. Like, you need to have someone for, somewhere for him to have a nightmare again. Did he really need to have another nightmare, though? They, 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 you had to get it in there. You, mean, you could have had the nightmare anywhere at any time. You notice he never has a nightmare when they're out on the trail? Like, it's only when he's sleeping in... In, in the town in beds. I did not notice that, but that's a good thing to point out. Remember he was sleeping in the middle of the day and he just like woke up. Like he wasn't having a nightmare then. Like maybe, I don't know. It was also during the day too, though. I don't know. Just strange. I just think it's funny that he, he shows up at Kim Novak's place. She invites him into her own personal bed and then she tries something and he basically says that, hey, I'm not man enough. I've, uh, you know, I, I'm sick down there. I can't uh, can't do for you what you'd like. And then he destroys her property and then she kicks him out. That entire scene is a throwaway scene. See, I think I think what they were going for was like he was he was so driven and like going actually going crazy that he couldn't like see anything else. But I mean, I I 
I agree with you, and that it's forgettable. It nothing happens. Uh, her character is completely wasted. Like they could have had something else for them to do other than him just show up and then go to bed and then scare her away. Like if she had provided some vital piece of information for him, if she had been able to. I, I, I wonder why she took the job. I mean, did she just want the money? Did she just need a, need an easy paycheck? See, I think like it, it probably. I mean, maybe it was a friend a friend thing. You Doing know, a favor. She yeah, she knew somebody or who knows. It's like because because all of those scenes could have taken a single day to film. Easily, yeah. Easily, easily. Yeah. It, it's also worth noting there's only really one or two like uh, interior places, so probably not a very expensive. Not film at to all. Make. No, now that you mention it, I mean, there's there's the cave scene where they have to. That was obviously a set that was built. Yeah. Um, it looked like there were a couple of other soundstage sets that were p- placed outside, and then you mostly have location shooting outdoors. Yeah. So definitely, uh, Mother Nature is a very inexpensive set dresser for sure. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the uh, the soundtrack and the score for a little bit. Uh, this was uh, all composed by John Barry. Uh, John Barry is probably best known for uh, arranging the original James Bond theme and uh, for scoring the first 11 James Bond films. He also uh, did the uh, soundtrack to The Black Hole, a personal favorite movie of mine, uh, an old Disney sci-fi classic. And uh, additionally, there's another Black Hole uh, tie-in there. Do you want to talk about that one, Ken? Yes. So also in this film, one of the uh, Cowboys slash... uh outlaws whatever you want to call them is uh slim pickens who is uh who did one of the voices for the robot in the film yes uh old bob the uh the counterpart to vincent in the black hole if you haven't seen that i recommend seeing it at least once yep they have a little 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 connection there in a movie we've enjoyed before um a great halloween movie to be sure yeah because that's almost like a horror film masquerading as a sci-fi film yeah and a Disney film, no less. So anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about the soundtrack and the score. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, the, uh, the soundtrack was, I mean, complimentary as far as, you know, it helped build up the tension in a couple times where there was kind of like those stings, like the, the, the building kind of rising music in a couple places. Uh, certainly, it was most impressive to me just at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And then it played such a subtle role in the rest of the film that I didn't really necessarily take notice of it very much. Yeah. But it was effective. There was some good music in the middle too, when they were just kind of uh, roaming the hills uh, that kind of stood out to me. There were some good uh, themes, uh, but yeah, most of it was, especially later in the film, it wasn't really as musically. Uh, it was more just like stings and like just that like rising music just before something happens. It was very atmospheric. It was yeah. not really orchestral. Yep. yep, atmospheric, and it blended in with the scenes where, I mean, I hardly paid attention to it. Uh, mostly it stood out to me in the middle, and then uh, the parts where the, the action was happening. So what would we give a, a film like this for a final score? Like a, a rough one out of ten. I would give this movie... It's it's hard for me to score it because it's not really the kind of movie I would am into, I would say. Not that I'm against westerns or anything, but to me, there wasn't anything interesting about the westerny part of it, other than the main the reason for the main characters to have 
animosity towards each other and to get along. You know, that's really like the frame, the frame of the movie, framework of the movie. It's, it's really, it's Moby Dick set in the West. Yes. It's uh, Moby Dick Buffalo. And as somebody who enjoys Western films, like uh, 310 to Yuma, some of the old spaghetti Westerns, the proposition from Australia. There's there's some great Westerns out there. This is not one of them. Yeah. It just doesn't it doesn't bring enough to the table to really warrant uh, even more than a single viewing. Mm. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, I would say for me, this is probably like a two. A two? I just really wasn't into it at all. Yeah. I get I I'd give it I'd give it maybe a three. You know, because like, if you like Westerns, it's got the set dressing, it's got the gunfights, it's got the stagecoach, it's got horses, it's got a singular beautiful woman. Uh, it has uh, it has a lot of the elements that you would like to see. I'd say it was made well enough as far as, uh, you know, the, the shots and, the, um, you know, just kind of the overall cinematography of it. It wasn't like anything was stood out that it was bad, but like... It's just not that good of a package altogether. It, it's the kind of film that when it came out, I mean, this this came out in like what, May 1977? Right. What else came out in May 1977, eh, Some other little film. Just some other little film called Star Wars, I think, which uh, probably is one of the reasons why it never really did much and went anywhere. Yeah. I mean, what, what kid's going to be like, oh, I want to go see Charles Bronson, this grizzled old man who basically just recites lines or you can watch this uh, amazing sci-fi action adventure flick. That was a uh, absolutely game changing. Yeah. So I, I think to be fair, the movie never had a chance in hell. Yeah. Went up against those kinds of odds, but even not up against anything like that. I just really didn't enjoy this movie. Uh, I know it's just my personal take on it, but like I, <sighs> The whole reason we're here, Ken, is to give our personal yeah, takes. I, I, I just did not enjoy it really at all. <laughs> Other than I did enjoy uh, the Crazy Horse character. Crazy Horse was great. And yeah. uh, William Sampson. He, what they he tried good. to do building their relationship. That was the... Because uh, like, it wasn't like badly written necessarily. But I mean, you could have... I mean, I didn't say it was well written, just not badly written. It was It was written. It was fine. It was, somebody wrote it, uh, but you know this is a ninety. This is a ninety-minute film that I think if we cut out all of the, all of the things that are really unnecessary to the story, anything that is superfluous, you would probably have a forty-five-minute film. Mm. You can take half this movie, cut it out, throw it away. Yeah. And you would have like a nice like hour long TV special. It really with commercials. It really feels like a bunch of this stuff early on in the film was put in there to be like, oh, remember this is a western. Like, yeah, it was window dressing. Absolutely, it, it was like you had to somehow eventually get into just out in the wilderness with these people hunting, and like they needed to say like, oh, this is a western movie that we got. We got a bar fight and we got a shootout and like here's you know a saloon. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they, yeah. They they really could have just had the whole thing just take place in the middle of nowhere out in nature and that would have been a more compelling film and probably a more unique film for the time period and for the genre right yeah i think if you made like a modern retelling of the story you start at the final town you know what i mean like you start 
right before you go out on the trail like Oregon Trail or, yeah or it would be like uh, I think a, a mo- more modern day film like a, a, a assembling the team I mean he's going there to pick up the one guy sure in a more modern telling I think he would pick up the woman as well like he'd be you know getting a couple people together maybe to go oh, on sure. this trip instead of just like going off with his like old prospector buddy I would have much rather have watched uh, Kim Novak for 90 minutes than Grandpa Simpson. Yeah. I mean, she could have come along. I mean, they could have given her something to do. And th- and that's not just, you know, because, you know, Kim Novak was, you know, gorgeous at the time, but she also was an accomplished actress. Yeah. She didn't do bad. It's just she didn't have much she had to work nothing, with. She had nothing to work with. It yeah. was like, hey, just come 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 to your come to this bedroom and like unbutton your shirt yep. and then go away. Yeah. That was her entire that, role that's in That's what film. happened. What a waste. Yeah. Like, what a waste of talent. It's like, no it's no wonder she, she retired early. Yeah. If those are the kinds of roles she was getting, I mean, what a waste. Yeah. She starred opposite Jimmy Stewart in a great film, Bell, Book, and Candle. Did loads of others. Just, what a shame. Yeah. So, I guess our final our final tally, like, how, how many bags of popcorn is this worth on, on, the, on the, uh, the snack scale here? So, you say two, I say three. We'll average it out of like what two point five? Yeah, that's fair. Two point five bags of popcorn. That's that's a, that's a, that's. An I okay. mean, that, that's probably in in reality more popcorn than this thing's worth. That's. <laughs> I said the popcorn scale out of ten. That's a lot of popcorn once you get to ten. <laughs> yeah, like maybe, maybe like handfuls of popcorn. Okay, that's better. Yeah, so like maybe two, two and a half, handfuls, and a half handfuls, handfuls of popcorn, yep. and then you just turn it off All like right. a third of the way through. I totally am with you there. Yep. Yeah, we'll have to work on our snack rating scale, but we'll come up with something soon, I promise. No, two and a half handfuls with or without butter. With, oh, God. I mean, without butter? We're talking a handful and a half. Yeah. Tops. No butter there. No butter. It's a dry. It's, dry. It, it, it's a dry. It's a it, It's a dry maybe two handfuls worth of popcorn. All right. So uh, I I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put it in the rent it and forget it category. No, I said I said whether I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? As a watch. For once. For the one time. For I once. will never, never in my life am I going to just have like a lazy Sunday afternoon and think to myself, God, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to watch a Charles Bronson movie, The White Buffalo. Yeah. That'll never happen I, for I, as long as I live. I, I also say I'm glad we watched it because it's something very far out of my comfort zone. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to to reinforce that that's, that's still the case. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll reinforce that that's the case with many more reviews to come. Yes. And uh, as with uh, all complimentary cinema uh, reviews, the uh, link for this film will be available in the uh, description below. So please go ahead and click on that. And uh, if you think that this movie sucked, let us know in the comments. If you liked it, let us know. If you uh, think we're full of shit, uh, yeah, go ahead and share that too. And uh, any other uh, final thoughts, Ken, before we sign off for the night? I don't think so. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight for Complimentary Cinema. I'm Brian. And this is Ken. And we will see you next week with another complimentary film.